eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're coming to you on back-to-back days from downtown Atlanta, You'll hear from Daniel Gowan and Mark Brennan, my colleagues who are here on the scene with me in just a little while as we put this matchup into focus. The Peach Bowl showdown between number 10 Penn State, number 11 Ole Miss takes place at noon here in Atlanta on Saturday. We're excited to be in the stadium, uh, home of the Atlanta Falcons. This time will be home of the Peach Bowl. We got to look at that uh, facility a couple days uh, in practice action. We have practice reports over at lines247.com along with a ton of coverage from our time thus far following Penn State's bowl experience. But we begin with some intel on Ole Miss, the opponent in this matchup. We heard about them a little bit earlier in the month when this matchup was announced, and and we focused on it here on the podcast. We're going to do that right now as kickoff nears with Jared Redding, who covers Ole Miss for our 24-7 Sports Network. I got to meet Jared in person here down in Atlanta, and now we have him here on the podcast. And thank you, sir. I know you're fresh off the practice field. Your final look at Ole Miss practice of 2023, and uh, we're getting close to kickoff. So let's start with this if there is a pressing question that you have about this old miss team at this time of the year what is it yeah i think it's one of those is if you look at this matchup and you look at old miss's uh history the last two years with bowl games and you know just big games in general underneath lane kiffin you know he's won a couple of them this year but you have to question and you know with history on the line with Ole Miss having a chance to win 11 games for the first time in program history the trajectory the program is on right now i think the thing you want to know is can Ole Miss handle the moment in this one right here in, in this matchup? They're almost won 10 games uh, for the second time in three years, had a chance to win 11, like I just said. Uh, but in can they match Penn State's physicality on the line of scrimmage? I think that's going to be uh, the factor on, you know, on, on both ends. Uh, Ole Miss's offensive line has been banged up uh, the last three games uh, of the regular season and, you know, the, over the past month. And so – you wonder if uh, some of them are going to be ready to go and what combinations are going to work against Penn State defense, which is widely regarded as one of the best in college football. 
you've had a chance to speak with Ole Miss players throughout the week now at this point. I know Daniel Gallon on our site uh, caught up with a bunch of Ole Miss defensive players for their thoughts on Drew Aller and Nick Singleton and other players on the offense. What are you hearing about Penn State out of the mouths of Ole Miss players and coaches this week that stands out to you? Yeah, I think it's just a general consensus that, you know, regardless of conference affiliation, that Penn State's probably one of the best well-rounded teams, you know, kind of across the board. And, you know, quite frankly, probably the one of, if not the best team they might face all year when it comes to just having everything accounted for, it kind of seems like. Because I know Penn State, obviously, from from what I've researched, what I've heard from, you know, their de- their defense speaks for itself. You know, one of the top scoring defenses, top in rush defense, top in pass defense or within there. But they often overshadow an offense that isn't too shabby either. Uh, you know, maybe they're not as explosive maybe as Ole Miss's offense, but they get the job done on the scoreboard and they take care of the football. It's like what Ole Miss does. And so I think they realize that they're going to have their hands full. But, you know, just hearing from them during the week and seeing them during the week, it seems like, you know, they're not as tense, you know, as they've kind of been in the past couple of years, especially late in the year. And they're playing a little bit loose and playing free and realizing, you know, that, you know, you go out there and you have fun, you play hard, you do your job, then good things could happen. Lane Kiffin was was pretty excited about uh, about the fact that he didn't anticipate any opt-outs back in the initial Peach Bowl press conference. Things have changed a little bit. Ole Miss is down a defensive player. Can you tell us about what they're missing from the field this Saturday? Yeah, and Lane, you know, start off with addressing that situation with uh, Cedric Johnson, the uh, Ole Miss's edge rusher, opting out to uh, you know to prepare for a pro football future, going to play in the Senior Bowl before going to the draft. That it was kind of a shocker uh, with Cedric Johnson because especially when you look at what Cedric Johnson has accomplished during his time at Ole Miss and also kind of the the weight that he bears as the recipient of this year's Chucky Mullins Courage Award, which is given to a defensive player who embodies, uh, you know, the courage and the will that Chucky Mullins had. And you can look into that yourself. There's an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on it. But the tagline has never quit in – He's opting out of this one. But at the end of the day, you know, this is a business decision at the end of the day. And you have to look at it to yourself at the end of the day. So he respects that Johnson's decision. Maybe he sees it a little bit differently. But, you know, Ole Miss is going to be missing an edge rusher that even when the stats don't always show it at times, you know, he's been a factor on just about every play that he is on the field. Just very speedy for somebody his size um, and, you know, is – you know, he's not known as a guy as a stopper in the run game, but, you know, he's done it quite a bit this year. And, you know, but at the same time, Ole Miss has been able to overcome, you know, stuff, you know, pe- players go to the sidelines for whatever reason because Ole Miss has had some depth on the defensive line. I think that's been a big reason why Ole Miss defense has taken a big step in the first year at Big Golden. Uh, speaking of steps forward, uh, we saw Jackson Dart do that this year at quarterback for Ole Miss, uh, completing 65% of his passes for, for nearly 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns to five interceptions. Former USC quarterback, made the move to the SEC last year. Uh, how has he settled in, and, and what kind of a stage and test is this being viewed as for the Ole Miss QB? Yeah, I think when you look at Jackson Dart's progression from year one to year two, I think it's plain and simple, just being an you know, a second year in this system uh, with Charlie Weiss coming in, the co-offensive coordinator coming in at the same time. He's done a lot better job of not only playing free, but also taking care of the football while playing free, uh, you know, not trying to force things so much and just having a little bit more of that it factor that you want, you know, as your leader of the quarterback. Because, you know, if you remember correctly, there was a quarterback competition 
on paper from the outside just because they brought in Spencer Sanders from the transfer portal and they brought in Walker Howard, who a couple of years ago was one of the top prospects in the 2022 uh, recruiting class. But, you know, he's taken off and he has run with it. As far as the challenge that Penn State presents, I think, as I alluded to earlier, and as, here, as you probably alluded to all throughout the season, that, you know, there's very few weaknesses with this Penn State defense, at least, you know, on the surface. Um, and, you know, but his receivers tend have kind of brought it up subtly that, you know, that this is one that, you know, if they can, you know, if they can get behind them, you know, if they can hit the home run when they need to and just play smart, then I think almost has a chance because, you know, it almost is going to have to be balanced in this game too. It's not going to have to be just Jackson Dart, which is a big reason why Ole Miss kind of struggled to find this footing a little bit early on in the year, but they're going to need him to, uh, you know, get out of bad situations, have quit Sean Judkins, you know, kind of take the load off of him and have his offensive line step up with uh, some injuries the past uh, couple of weeks of the season. Kinshawn Judkins, 1,000-yard rusher this year, 15 touchdowns on the ground. But I want to keep the focus here on the pass attack because we heard from interim defensive coordinator Anthony Poindexter, Penn State's perspective, and and this morning he really referenced that Ole Miss has that firepower uh, at the receiver spot. Three guys are over 700 receiving yards on the season. Penn State doesn't have a single player that reached 700 receiving yards this season. Uh, can you tell us about that trio? And I know Trey Harris is the guy that seems to be the explosive factor, averaging 18 yards per uh, catch, and a guy who's got 850 yards, eight touchdowns on the season. Him in particular, what kind of a matchup does he present? He's a matchup nightmare, I would just say, just plain and simple. Um, you know, you, you look at those three receivers, and, you know, the numbers are fairly bounced across the board. Trey Harris taking the most of it. And he wasn't even healthy for half the season, too. And he's still able to – and so you could have possibly seen a 1,200-yard uh, receiver going into this Peach Bowl. But, you know, he you know, suffered a knee injury in the second game of the year against Tulane and still managed to, you know, play through it and do his best. But, you know, it was after the bye week where, you know, he he was already a factor, but you started seeing a lot more of the home run balls. And, you know, you, you saw him kind of be the guy that, def that defensive coordinators look at and say – do not let this guy beat us. Um, but he gets a lot of attention, rightfully so, with his size, speed, and just big play capabilities, uh, good ball and six as well. And you look at Jordan Watkins, you know, reliable receiver uh, in the slot. You know, he's, you know, the guy who he'll hit a big play. He'll get the big play every once in a while, but you always rely on him to make catches. He's got massive hands. You know, he tends to find himself open more often than not. And then Dayton Wade, uh, you know, he was a former – he was a walk-on when he transferred from Western Kentucky uh, going into last year and has really made a name for himself We just with the speed. He's also made some freakishly good catches this year, and uh, he was a guy that, you know, a couple weeks after the regular season ended, he basically announced, you know, not exactly formally that he was going to be done after this year and he was going to uh, go to the NFL, and he hasn't brought up anything about it since. But, you know, that's the general consensus that's out there that he's going to leave after this year. But, you know, like you said, these guys have been balanced. They, they, they have a balanced passing attack. Um, you know, and part of that is, you know, the balance that Ole Miss has been able to show late in the year. And it's kind of a, it's kind of proven more often than not to be kind of pick your poison. But that's if the offensive line can do its job and give Jackson Dart time to find it based on the improvements that you saw from Jackson Dart this year. And so Ole Miss is a little bit more having a little bit more options, which is they lacked last year. 
Uh, I mentioned Judkins uh, being a thousand yard rusher, but you know, you look through and there's, there's five games out of 12 where he finishes at, at less than four yards uh, average per carry two of the last three games of the regular season. He's under four yards per carry. And I know that much of that probably ties into the offensive line. This is an area where when reviewing Ole Miss the last few weeks, it seems to be a little bit of a question mark because of some injury issues, performance issues. And then I look at the other side of the trenches, Penn state's number one nationally in run defense. So when you see that matchup, is that maybe the biggest concern for Ole Miss establishing themselves up front offensively? Oh, a thousand percent. Um, and I think that's the reason why you saw Ole Miss's offense really struggle the last three weeks of the season. Uh, you know, going into Ole Miss's biggest, pretty much the biggest matchup of the season and maybe of the Lane Kiffin era up to the point where they played Georgia on the road, back to back national champions, you know, 20 plus game win streak. Uh, they lost their right tackle, Micah Pettis, with a uh, broken foot just a couple days before they were to play that game. And then during the first drive of that game, they also lost um, the left tackle who filled in for the previous left tackle who moved over to the right tackle and lost <laughs> him with an ankle sprain, which looking at him in practice, he still has that ankle taped up. It's still kind of question marking up in the air is if he's going to play. I would bet on him trying to go with it and see what happens um, based on what we've heard up to this point. But Michael Pettis is a huge loss, especially in the run game. Um, he he is – that's what his forte, I guess, is, so to speak, is just moving guys out of the way, big body, being able to pull and being able to, you know, hit the second level and get the guys downfield. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they, they've tried different combinations between that stretch a little bit. Um, but, this, like you just said, Penn State's got the number one rush defense in the country. If I'm not mistaken, I think underneath 70 yards a game. If I'm yep. thinking at the, at the top of my head, so I think you know this game for Ole Miss is going to be won or lost in the offensive line. Um, yep. And you know when you have, you know, when you have a uh, Quincy McGee, Victor Kearney transfers who come in to do their job, and you know Jeremy James who was previously the right guard all year long moved back to what was previously his spot at right tackle, and what they're going to do with Caleb Bourne who's played center this whole year seeing if maybe he could play guard, you know, a lot of question marks up there. And so I think, yes, they're healthier than they had been over the last month, two months since, you know, everything kind of seemed to go downhill with injuries. But at the same time, this is without question going to be the biggest test of the season, I, I would argue. Penn State surrendering surrendering 69.7 rushing yards per game. That's actually 11 yards better than any other team across the country. Let's finish here, Jared, uh, on the subject of Ole Miss versus Penn State. Give us a player to watch that you haven't mentioned yet here on the podcast and give us your prediction on the final score and why you're going in that direction. That's a tough question to answer because I think on, I think there's one I feel like on the uh, offensive and defensive side of the ball. Go for um, it. I think on the offensive side of the ball, we've talked about the receivers. We talked about Quinshawn Judkins. We talked about Jackson Dart. talked about the offensive line. But a guy who's been a lot more factor, not just in the run game, but in the passing game in the past – or the, the last couple games of the season was the tight end Caden Prescorn. and he transferred in over the offseason from Memphis. Um, he was also a guy who was banged up and hurt, missed the th first three games of the regular season, and hasn't really been a factor in the passing game up until the, the last couple of games, you know, against Georgia, against Louisiana Monroe, and against Mississippi State. You may look at the stat sheet, and you may see maybe two touchdown catches all year long, but he is – been a little bit used a little bit more as a weapon he's always been phenomenal as a run blocker and you saw that when the running game started to find its footing midway through the year um being able to do what they did against lsu 
um, you know, against Auburn and kind of in the middle of the pack, Arkansas as well. Um, but I feel like that this is going to be a game where, you know, be, because of the challenges that Penn State presents, he's going to be used as a blocker, obviously, but to have a little bit more options to go with. And I think that's a guy to kind of keep your eye on a little bit. It may not be as flashy on the paper, but the, the reason why Ole Miss's offense has been able uh, to step up when it's need to needed to more often than not to go to 10 and 2 since his injury has been Caden Prescorn. And on the defensive side of the ball, I think you can point to many guys up front. I think Ole Miss's defensive line is most definitely the strongest suit on the defensive side of the ball. I would look out for – I got two guys. Um, the edge rusher, Jared Ivey, who transferred in from Georgia Tech for the 2022 season, um, taking a big step from year one to year two. Uh, just his size and quickness off the ball, kind of a bully on the line of scrimmage, kind of been the opposite – or not the, on the op- same, but on the opposite side of Cedric Johnson. And I think the defensive tackle, J.J. Pegues, is up in the middle. Uh, he's an Oxford, Mississippi native. Started his career at Auburn, transferred uh, to Ole Miss to come back home. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's done some good things. And even though the stats don't show it, he's been a factor. And Ole Miss was one of the top leaders in the country in sacks up until that Georgia game. And they've been a little bit quiet on the stat sheet the past couple of games. But if they're going to win this one, like I said, it's going to be one up front. And what do you got for a prediction for us? I know you, I threw you two questions at once there. So score, no, you're prediction, good. score prediction and, and your reasoning for that prediction. You know, this is something that I thought about before uh, we recorded. I did. We uh, at Inside the Rebels did our fearless forecast, which is basically our score predictions. And I said 24 to 20, but I picked Ole Miss. And here's why. You know, I think if you look at this game of the surface and you look how well-rounded Penn State is, um, at, even regardless of conference of affiliation, the amount of NFL talent that's on their roster. Um, I think you could argue in a lot of aspects that Penn State might be the better team. And I would tend to agree with them in a lot of ways. Um, but this is just a gut feeling thing. And, and it's not just because I write for an Ole Miss site. It just kind of feels like the perfect storm for Ole Miss. And, but we also said that two years ago when they lost the Sugar Bowl to Baylor with a chance to win 11 games as well. So I can see this final score either way, but I'm going to go with Ole Miss on this one just because I feel like this team is different. They're a lot more resilient than any Lane Kiffin team here. Uh, they've been able to – they've been a fourth-quarter, second-half team all year long. And if they can stay in the game with Penn State and keep it close to the second half, I feel like Ole Miss is going to be able to finish it at the end of the day. But like I said, I could say 24-20 Ole Miss or 24-20 Penn State. Flipping the coin, based on what I just said, I'm going to pick Ole Miss in this one, but this is why we play the games. Uh, Jared, really appreciate it. We'll see you in the press box. Thank you for now for the perspective on Ole Miss ahead of this matchup. Thank you. Uh, you may have heard it there. I think uh, Jared was dealing with a little construction noise around him. I know there's some stuff being done around this hotel, but we appreciate his insight. And now we're going to get to our guys from Lions 24-7 and Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, who have been on the scene with me here in Atlanta. Uh, we covered a lot of ground on Wednesday, fellas, with our uh, initial podcast from Atlanta, and we've got plenty to follow up here on Thursday. We're going to get to our predictions and our bold predictions and our players to watch a little bit later here on in the segment. Uh, but let's begin with, uh, with the updates. I mean, they keep coming fast and furious, and, and it hasn't stopped just because this team is preparing for a bowl game. Daniel, you had a story up uh, on Thursday after we had a chance to speak with him Thursday morning, but Adiza Isaac on Wednesday evening announcing that he will indeed be off to the NFL draft. He is, of course, here. He's competing in the Peach Bowl. Um, To what extent? That's an interesting note. Maybe you can get into that a little bit, Daniel. But Adiza Isaac, for those who have not followed his journey, 
a lot of variables in play that made you wonder if he would leave last year. He did not. He stuck around. He capitalized in a big way, ended up uh, being a first-team All-Big Ten player, could be a day-two guy. Um, and now what do we make of this decision and ultimately Adiza Isaac's path to it? I don't really think it surprised everyone. I, I think Adisa Isaac, when you look at these NFL draft decisions, he was in the when, not if category. Um, even though you asked him Thursday morning, Tyler, if you know that that's how we looked at it, is it the way he looked at it? And he did say that he had some of those, I think, lingering thoughts is how um, how he worded it with whether or not um, he would come back for a sixth year. But um, I think that Adisa Isaac is someone who really, really helped himself over the course of the year. I think that coming back for the fifth season was really, really big for him. Um, I think you posed that question to him earlier today, too, where yeah, that goes down as probably the biggest decision of his life so far um, You know, to come back for this fifth year to put together the type of season that he had and to put himself into a, you know, a better draft slot. I mean, he probably made himself a substantial sum of money. Um, we'll find out in April what exactly that looks like. But I, I think for Adisa Isaac, there are myriad factors that go into it. Um, one of his brothers has cerebral palsy. Um, another brother is autistic. His sister is autistic. He was raised by a single mother. He carried the load um, in that family from a very, very young age. Um, Adisa is someone who has always come across as, as very mature, um, and he's also come across as very honest with us. Uh, you go back to uh, the blue-white game in April 2022, and I think that going into our post-game availability, or yeah, post-game availability with him, we sometimes we tend to tread lightly around guys coming off of injuries because we kind of know how James Franklin tends to handle it, how the program tends to handle it. But Adisa Isaac came right out and said that he tore his Achilles. Um, he didn't shy away from that. He didn't shy away from what it was like coming back from it over the course of last season, where ahead of the year, he said that he still felt like he was 80, 85%. And over the course of the season, even when it looked like he had kind of come all the way back, and he was very honest that he said that he didn't feel like he was all the way back yet. Um, and I think that that kind of, you know, working back, I think that that process um, really gave him a big appreciation for the season Back in November, he talked about playing a lot more free, um, and he felt like that that was something that was really helping him on the field. Um, so, you know, he's going to give it one last go uh, in the Peach Bowl. Uh, he said that he expects to play the majority of the game. Um, he also said that it kind of sounds like that he'll start, get a lot of time early, and then it'll kind of play it by ear from there. Um, his, and his time might taper off a little bit. But yeah, I think that Adisa Isaac is someone that, this program is, is really going to be able to hold up um, from a variety of ways, um, you know, overcoming adversity, being mature, what extra time at Penn State can do for you, getting the most out of your experience. Um, you know, I, I think that it's someone where, um, you know, we weren't surprised to see it happen, but it's still a, a cool thing um, to see Adisa Isaac get to declare and, and get to take this next step uh, in his career. There's no doubt he's matured as a football player. Seven and a half sacks, that's three more than any teammate on this squad. 15 tackles for loss, that's almost double the next highest total on the Nittany Lions. And he showed up in the big-time games. Five total tackles for loss against Michigan and Ohio State. And he certainly has matured as a man as well, working his way in year five to team captaincy. Um, and, and just wanted to share this quote that we heard from him this morning 
on his decision to stick with Peach Bowl plans and, and remain uh, a part of this preparation for his final college matchup. He said, quote, I felt like it was only right. Personally, I felt like it was best for me to stay, finish it out strong. I couldn't really watch this game. I had to be a part of it. I just want to put the icing on the cake with this one. And when we're talking about icing on the cake, Mark Brennan, there are a lot of guys searching for that in their Penn State careers. You spent some time while I was uh, on the other side of the room. You were speaking with Curtis Jacobs. And, uh, you know, we've been talking to Curtis since his high school days. He's always been a friendly face uh, and, and a great conversation. Just curious what stood out as, as he's on the precipice of wrapping up his Penn State career and turning pro as well. Yeah, I think he's another guy who really helped himself by coming back. I mean, he could have gone out last year. I'm not sure where he would have been drafted, but I think he's going to be a guy who, uh, you know, could be in that third, fourth round type area now. And I also think he's a guy that's going to be able to go to the combine and do some really good things. But the interesting thing about Curtis, and we've all had a chance to talk to him, just, you know, like Adisa, you know, just a tremendous interview. And, you know, willing to share, you know, the things that were important to him. And I asked him specifically, you know, coming back, where did you improve from last year to this year that makes it feel like this is the right time to go when last year it wasn't? And for him, it was less about on-field play than being a leadership, a really good communicator, all of those kind of things. So I think sometimes when we're covering a team, we get wrapped up we get so wrapped up in the numbers or so wrapped up in stats that we, we don't maybe understand what's really important to some of those guys. And Curtis Jacobs, to be able to communicate that as effectively as he did, you know, I, I just uh, it, I'm going to miss him because I think he's been, you know, one of the really, really good interviews. So, you know, that part of it was big. And, uh, you know, all, all of these guys who decided to play, you know, again, I'm following up on what Adisa said uh, and Theo Johnson and, uh, you know, all of them talked about that, you know, committing to something that they want to see through. And I think that's important. And that's not a knock. And he said it. It's not a knock on people who decided not to stay in play. You know, everybody has their own reasons for, for doing what they're doing. This has become a business for them at this point. These are business decisions that they're making. Uh, but I think the level of maturity uh, that we've seen from these guys. And, you know, the other thing is this is a guy who came in when he was a true freshman in uh, 2020. So he comes in in the COVID year, you know, thinks he's going to have an opportunity to learn from Micah Parsons. <laughs> and, you know, Micah, it looked like he was going to be on that team. He was with the team right up till the preseason. And then when the Big Ten began monkeying around with the, the schedule, uh, you know, Mike decides to go. So Curtis was a guy who had to play early in his career, and he was on some bad teams. He was on some really bad teams. And that's another hallmark of this class, I think, is that they were on teams that were 500-type teams or below 500 teams and decided to stay with it, where everybody could have scattered. And this is one of the things that, that Curtis said. Everybody could have gone their own separate ways when things weren't going well but they kept it together. Did they get to their ultimate goal, the college football playoff? No, they didn't get there, but look what they're ending up with. You know, you're, you're, you're coming off of, uh, you know, one new year six win in the last time the Rose bowl will, would have been played in its conventional format of big 10 pack 10. 
or Big Ten Pac-12, whatever you want to call it at this point. I guess you don't call it anything now. Pac-0. Yeah, and now you're in an opportunity to become the first team to win all six major bowl games. So I think that's really something they could hang their hats on, and it was good to – it was nice to be able to get a chance to talk to those types of players, even though I'm disappointed that this bowl doesn't do a media day where we have access to all the players because I think that's very valuable. I do think the, that the, the fact that we got a chance to talk to these certain players was pretty cool. You, mean, you brought up a great point because Theo Johnson, Curtis Jacobs, guys who came to campus in the midst of, well, before the COVID year, and, and then eventually COVID takes over 2020, um, they were coming to a team that won 11 games the year before. And Journey Brown was back and Micah Parsons was back. And I don't need to rehash it, but we all know where the team was coming out of 2019 into 2020. Two years into their careers, they were 11 and 11 in Nittany Lions uniforms. Since then, they're 21 and four, yeah. looking to make it back-to-back 11 win campaigns. The only losses along the way, of course, Ohio State and Michigan. But yeah, it has been quite a turnaround. Those guys have been a part of it. And another one of those stalwarts of this roster, another one of those big personalities on this roster is Devon Ellis. He is somebody who has a not announced his plans yet for 2024. He's a fifth-year guy, but like Caden Wallace, who we discussed before, and like Adiza Isaac, he has the availability of that COVID year, if he were to use it, to remain on campus for a sixth season. We haven't seen a lot of guys do it, but Jonathan Sutherland, P.J. Mustafer took COVID eligibility, and, of course, Sean Clifford did it. We're still waiting to see if anyone does it this time around. Daniel, you spent a lot of time with Devon here on Thursday morning. What kind of vibes were you picking up from him and uh, regarding what's next for him and, and really where he's gotten to in his career? A guy who flat out earned the starting job as this season went on. I don't know if folks realized it, but uh, he took over that spot from Akeem Beeman about midway through and ran with it the rest of the way alongside Zane Durant. Devon Elise told us earlier today that he's going to um, announce his decision after the Peach Bowl. Um, I don't know if it'll be a Jesse Lucetta situation where directly after the game, he says that he's not sure. But by the time we get to the press box, the graphic is out. Um, but I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what what he chooses. I, I think that he's one of those guys where, um, you, you know, coming back for a sixth year, how much more can you really boost your stock? How much more can you really do? Um, I think that what he's shown over the second half of the year I, I think has been really impressive, but it was really good to to spend some time with, with Devon today. I mean, I think the way that we split up over the course of the season, I think that he's someone that I, I don't necessarily get to spend a lot of time with. I think that usually it's you or Mark Tyler uh, talking to him. And um, he, he's also someone that you usually go to, to ask about other people um, <laughs> because he's you know, so well connected in that locker room. He's a, I think that he's shown that he's a great leader. Um, when he was at the podium during his early session today, um, I asked him about Adisa Isaac coming back, having this type of season, putting himself in this type of position. And now I do think that it, it looked a little emotional for him up there. They're both class of 2019 guys. We're both top 247 recruits coming in in that class. Um, but you know, getting to sit down with him, um, he's just kind of a, a very good personality. Um, he said that he's having his own hot sauce brand or his own hot sauce come out soon. Um, there's been some kind of funny questions going around uh, in terms of sheets or Wawa. Um, and after someone asked him that, he turned, I think there were seven of us sitting there, and he turned to each of us and asked us what our uh, what our answers are. And what was your answer, Mr. Gallon? Uh, uh, mine, mine was whichever's closest. 
Uh, um, <laughs> I, I do think I'm I'm near one of the only sheets is uh, below the Mason Dixon line uh, in in my hometown, which is a, a twist. But um, I I just think that he's someone who has really kind of locked in over this over this last part of the season, and and he talked about that too, where um, you know he kind of feels like stuff has come together for him. Um, you know, down this stretch and that he's playing some of his better football. Um, I, I think that, you know, you can't really discount his leadership either. You know, he's not technically a team captain as voted, but the way that James Franklin and everyone talked about the leadership roles this year with who they were losing, it was going to be a lot more dispersed. And it sounds like that Devon Elise was someone who stepped up in a couple different points. He was one of the ones, um, I think, after the Rutgers game that we heard spoke, um, it seems like every now and then he's been able to be an, an emotional leader. I think we've seen him break down the huddle a couple times. Um, you know, he's someone who I think has really made a, a, a big impact. And down the stretch of the season, I think he was finally able to expand that impact a little bit more beyond the intangibles into tangible production um, on the field. And uh, we'll see when he makes his announcement, if that's enough to kind of propel him to the next level um, or if he wants to use that to propel in the next year to try to make a run uh, at the NFL in, in 2025. Devon and Curtis Jacobs, both out of that McDonough school program in Maryland, which of course previously produced PJ Mustafer came to town as a two-time team captain. And uh, you got denied Dennis Sutton out of that same program. Who's on the rise. You got Mason Robinson, who's a freshman here taking a red shirt. So that has been a good pipeline for them. And, and it looks like, you know, maybe a couple guys reaching the end of their journey here. We will wait for official word uh, from Devon following this matchup on Saturday. A couple other guys who are definitely on their way to the exit door and the defensive backfield, Keaton Ellis, Daquan Hardy had a chance to catch up with both of them here on Thursday morning in Atlanta, uh, starting with Keaton Ellis, uh, is really interesting career path. And I know we've kind of hashed it out a few times here, Mark, um, you and I spent several games over at state college and so did James Franklin. And so did other members of this staff, the hometown kid. He talked about today, just how much different he values uh, Penn state because of growing up within the community growing up uh, the son of a former uh, Penn State football player and just generally being able to live out a genuine childhood dream here in Happy Valley. Now, he came in as a cornerback. He made a bunch of noise early. He's banged up for portions of his career. He shifts over to safety. Uh, he ends up being a starter last year. He ends up being a backup this year while also being a team captain. So there's a lot of layers to this one. He feels like there was value in this fifth year. I think some people externally may wonder, did Keaton Ellis taking that COVID eligibility make the right call? Because we've seen KJ Winston and Jalen Reed take over that safety room as uh, as, as younger components. Um, and Keaton Ellis did not blink when, when he was asked that question today. Um, says that he feels like his body of work is out there and it's on display. He feels like when he's been given opportunities on defense here in 2023, he's maximized them. And He's ready to sell himself. He's still trying to figure out if he's going to be uh, training in State College or training down in Florida. But he's ready to go out there and sell himself as a marketable option for NFL teams uh, who can you know, add him in the defensive backfield, view him as a, as a component on special teams. So we'll be keeping tabs on that, Mark. And I'm just curious from, from your vantage point, if you've seen something like this at Penn State where a guy – comes into a year is named a team captain he, he's a returning starter and by the end of the season he's getting you know maybe a dozen maybe 15 defensive snaps per game uh just really a, a unique set of circumstances for the local guy yeah not unless somebody was banged up and he really wasn't but i'll go back we talked about this during the season how impressive he was and, and i just think 
that's why somebody like that is named a team captain. You know, I, I'm sure they didn't go into this season thinking, you know what, uh, KJ Winston and Jalen Reed are going to play so well that it's going to limit the snaps for one of the veterans. That, that, that wasn't their thought process. And even we, like early in the season when we had our depth chart, we had him as an or designation because we figured, and and I think the snap counts would have reflected it early in the season. Tyler. They did. They did. Yeah. And just as the season went along, I mean, what are you supposed to do if you're the coaching staff? You have two guys who are playing at really close to an elite level. I mean, when you see some of the stuff that K.J. Winston was doing out there, and we had a chance to talk to Anthony Poindexter today, and we've heard this over and over and over about Jalen Reed, about his IQ out there on the field and kind of being able to be the quarterback of that secondary. And, you know, that's no knock on Keaton Ellis, who was an honor student and graduated very quickly at Penn State. And I'm sure does he even – he might have his second degree already. I don't know how far along he's on. But when you have somebody like that who isn't going to be a pain in the rear end when he things don't necessarily go his way. Now, we could argue, would he have been better off coming out last year? I don't know. I mean, I think we kind of know who Keaton Ellis is. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a starting level player in the NFL. And that's not a knock on Keaton. That's like, you know, if you're predicting somebody could be a starting level player, you know, that's like an early round draft pick. But what could he do at the next level? He can be your core special teams guy. He could be somebody who could play anywhere in the secondary because he was all over the place. He's, he can play close to the ball. He can play back in space. And he goes through this year, and he was the ultimate team guy. Now, I know that nobody's drafting somebody based on being the ultimate team guy. You know, otherwise, there would be a bunch of end-of-the-bench guys in, the, you know, in college basketball that everybody's cheering for at the end of the game. But that's not who Keaton Ellis is. He was a legitimate player. And I don't think his odds are going to be any different now than they would have been last year. Will they be better? No. But everything, everything is going to rely on if he gets the opportunity. And I think this is one guy from this class that James Franklin owes it to him to bang the table to get him into the NFL combine, to do whatever he can do. I don't know how that works. But if you're James Franklin, I think you pull whatever card you can because this guy sacrificed for the team and could have been a divisional force. He could have he could have been somebody who w was an issue. And instead, he was the exact opposite. He was one of the strong points. So I obviously think very highly of Keaton. I know his family. I've known him since he was young. He went to, to, to school uh, with the intern. He was a year ahead. So I look at that as at a, on a personal level, too. But just looking at it strictly, you know, from him as a player, he's going to have an opportunity. Will it work out for him? We don't know. But that's all you could ask for at this point of your career. Yeah, and and out of the many people who may have been surprised that that those two took over the safety room, Keaton Ellis may not have been one of them. He told us last year in Pasadena that KJ Winston was a future All American, so he knew the room he was returning to, and he embraced it. And it ended up how it ended up, but he had nothing but positive things to say about the Penn State experience and Anthony Poindexter as his positional coach for these last few years. Uh, the other defensive back I wanted to get to here who is competing in his final Penn State game on Saturday is Daquan Hardy. We referenced this earlier in the week that he announced he's going to the 2024 NFL Draft, another one of those 2019 prospects who could have returned for a sixth college season if he chose to do so. As expected, discussing it with him Thursday morning here, uh, that punt return stuff, yeah, that, that was really 
really good for his draft stock. Uh, it, I, I do wonder if, if that doesn't happen, is, is he a little more tempted to come back here? He said that he was in James Franklin's ear for four years about being a punt returner. And James Franklin had, had done a little hindsight 2020 conversation with us midway through the year when, when Daquan Hardy returned a couple punts for touchdowns in his first game at that position. But beyond that, uh, just a little bit more about the scope of Hardy that I picked up from this conversation Thursday. He was silently committed to Buffalo uh, in the winter of his senior season after uh, being the, really the star of the state championship win for Penn Hills, uh, still was sniffing around for power five opportunities. He made an official visit to Penn State in January of 2019, and he left without an offer. And Terry Smith said, hey, we're going to stay in contact. But at that point, there was like a week left before signing day. He had the silent commit to Buffalo as kind of a safety net of sorts, and he wasn't feeling all that rosy about Penn State showing up with an offer. Within 48 hours of signing day, he gets the Penn State offer. He becomes that last addition to the 2019 recruiting class. And uh, we, we heard from James Franklin on signing day, that press conference set five years ago or whatever it was, that they were overthinking it with Daquan Hardy. They fell, they were looking at the measurements and, and they weren't focusing enough on the football player who they had witnessed in person, the staff did, his performance in the state championship game. And so he's at the finish line here. He's kind of an understated guy, Daniel, but we've all had conversations with him. He's not going to beat the drum for himself. Um, he's not going to yell about much. Um, but he really turned into a dynamic weapon for Penn State over the years. Not only was he fantastic in slot coverage for most of, of, of the last few seasons and really stabilizing that nickel position, but he stepped up on the perimeter at times this year at the cornerback spot and, of course, earned all Big Ten status as a special teams returner. What a fantastic story based on what I just laid out to go from a Buffalo silent commit to an all Big Ten defender and an all Big Ten special teams player. I think the one thing that really stands out about Hardy this year is he missed those first couple games of the season. And, um, you know, he, he didn't say why he wouldn't talk about that. Um, when he came back, but when he did come back, he was like a man on a mission. Um, the the way that he looked, I mean, in his first game back at Illinois, uh, he gets an interception while playing on the perimeter, which is something that we hadn't seen him do yet uh, in college. And he was a bunch of the guys he was on the podium with today. They were all asked what their favorite memory of the season was, and he said it was that game um, because it was the fact that he got to be back with them um, after missing those, those first two games. And he was able to make an impact. Um, that was something that he very, really, really felt strongly about. Um, so I think that beyond the type of player um, Daquan Hardy is, I think that that sort of shows the the type of teammate he is. And I think it shows the the buy-in uh, that James Franklin had throughout the season from, from some of these players and how some of these veterans uh, approach the year. But I, I do think that the, the punt return piece of it is really, really big for him. Um, I think every once in a while you see someone at that NFL level um, who gets to exclusively be uh, a special teamer uh, in, in that role. Um, and I think that this opens just another door um, for Daquan Hardy to, to get out there because I think that when you think about him finding a role on special teams, I think most of us, our minds went to, he's going to have to go somewhere, be a gunner yeah. um, and, and, be, and go down, be on punt team, be on kick team, really do that thankless work but this just opens another door it's another avenue for him um to to try to make a team to show what he can do with the ball in his hands and you know if a team has a pick and they're trying to figure out what they can get out of um a cornerback beyond just playing the nickel 
um, this is something else that they can do. So I, I think that Daquan Hardy too is someone who benefits from some of the trends in football uh, in terms of nickel essentially being a base defense for a lot of teams now. I think that, that opens up opportunities for him. But you know, I do think that you know, where he is right now versus you know, where things were a week before signing day uh, when he was coming out, um, it's a world of difference. And I, I think that kind of like we talked about with some of these guys earlier, he's someone that Penn State can hold up again as a proof of development, um, you know, the showing of results of what happens when you stick with it um, and what you're able to accomplish. Back on signing day last uh, last week, um, Alan Zemitis, who, who works on Penn State staff now, former All-American cornerback for the Nittany Lions, knows the position very well, played extensively in the NFL for several seasons. He talked about that slot corner role, and he said, if you find success there, you essentially have a PhD at the cornerback position. So he's got a lot cooking for himself, does Daquan Hardy. He'll be five foot nine forever. That's not going to change. He's, he's added about 15 pounds now at Penn State. He's, he's at, you know, 180 pounds versus 165 pounds or 160 pounds when he got to campus. But uh, it's been cool to see him overcome some of those shortcomings that that are just natural with, with, with his abilities on the field. And, and we really saw more of that here in 2023. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Getting over to the coaching staff and, and, and a kind of a final update from a busy morning here in Atlanta. Anthony Poindexter was available for us today. He's the interim defensive coordinator. Uh, he's going to be just wearing that label through Saturday. And, and after that game concludes, Tom Allen recently hired former Indiana uh, head coach is going to be the defensive coordinator for this program. And Anthony Poindexter will resume his duties as safeties coach, but really a lot to like about what we heard from Anthony Poindexter today. I have a story up at lines 247com and a big tip of the cap to Mark Brennan, who was pretty much stationed over with Poindexter for much of that conversation and got us the audio for it. Mark, uh, this is a guy that, that we wondered Tom Allen hired, he openly told us, uh, did, did Anthony Poindexter in a press conference setting a couple weeks ago that he had, quote, several conversations with James Franklin regarding the open defensive coordinator job. He's got defensive coordinator history back at UConn. It's a different level, but 
James Franklin found his head coach of the defense in Tom Allen, and it still sounds like, based on what we heard from Anthony Poindexter, that he still has a hell of a safeties coach that's on board with this Penn State team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of on, on both sides of the ball because you – you know, you look at Jaywan Sider, and with all due respect to Ty Howell, he's a younger coach, and I think people would have been a little surprised if they would have gone in that direction. Ty Howell's ultimately going to be a coordinator and a head coach. I don't doubt that one bit. But I look at Jaywan Sider a little bit differently as a guy who could really pick where he wants to go if he wanted to, and he's choosing to, to be here. And I think, Dex, it's it, it's the same thing. You know, um, I, I, he was asked about it up on the podium. I wasn't in there. I know Daniel was. Uh, about the College Football Hall of Fame. Penn State went there yesterday, and he couldn't have been more uncomfortable talking about that because he doesn't like to talk about himself. And then he was talk he was uh, asked about it at one of the breakout podiums, which I'm sitting at now. Um, and again, he was completely uncomfortable talking about himself. Uh, he was asked multiple times about Tom Allen and had nothing but positive things to say about Tom Allen, uh, talking about how when Dex worked at Purdue, uh, he knew what Tom Allen was all about because uh, we know how good that Purdue offense was and what Tom Allen was able to do against it. So all about that. And then I asked him, I tried to do it in a very respectful way because it's, it's not an easy thing to ask, but you know, everybody's wondering about it. It's, you know, so how do you, how do you handle that when, you know, you want the job, but somebody else gets it. And, you know, he gave a great answer. I don't have it verbatim in front of me, but I have it. Okay. Real quick. Can you yeah. say it? I'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you, Mark. Here's yeah. what uh, here's what Anthony uh, Poindexter said uh, when Mark asked him about uh, the fact that Tom Allen got the job and he was under consideration. He did not. He said, quote, I got into coaching to help kids and I have a passion for football. Really, I want to see kids experience what I experienced. I had a lot of experiences through my playing career. And if that can just and if they can just feel some of those moments and I can help them feel some of those moments, that's all I really want. I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to be the guy. You know, I had those moments in my life. I just want to work with a really good organization with really good people and win games. And that's what Coach Franklin created here. He created that for me and my family. Back to you, Mark. Yeah, and that's the perspective of somebody who's in the College Football Hall of Fame, right? right. That he doesn't need the spotlight on him. And so long as he's helping kids. Now, does that mean he won't leave for a job at some point if he has the opportunity? I don't know that. I mean, we, we don't know what's in somebody's heart or what, what uh, opportunities – may 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 open themselves up but we also know this that you know i think penn state's now in a position where it has the money that if you want to keep this caliber of coach not as a coordinator not as a coordinator you know you're, you're going to make it, it, it make it worth his while financially and responsibility wise and all these things and i think we've seen the responsibility that james franklin's been willing to give him as they've gone through these coordinator changes uh but I don't know that he could have handled it any better. And not I didn't expect anything less. I mean, I only expected him to handle that really well. But I did want to know how he felt because there were a lot of people out there who wanted him to get the job. I mean, there are a lot of fans out there who wanted him to get the job, and understandably so. And the fact it didn't work out that way, it's kind of the way, you know, big-time sports is. And, and that's what we're dealing with. We're talking about big-time business, you know, big-time sports. And, you know, this isn't all, you know, sunshine and flowers now. It's 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 – you know, you're shooting to be at a certain level and coaches are going to make the, the, the decisions they have to make. Uh, but for him to to be that uh, magnanimous about the whole thing, I just think is tremendous.
Yeah, and Poindexter, um, it was his first time to the College Football Hall of Fame uh, on Wednesday evening. He was inducted in 2020. That ceremony took place in Las Vegas. So not only did he get his first uh, opportunity to see his own biography and 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 they have you know, player highlights for all these inductees, he had the entire team with him. And so we heard from guys like Devon Ellis and and Day Day Hardy and, and Adiza Isaac today just about getting a chance to review those highlights. It was Daquan Hardy's first time seeing Anthony Poindexter's playing uh, career at, in Virginia. And I think that opened some eyes. Anthony said he doesn't talk about his career to the guys. He doesn't he doesn't really need to do that, doesn't feel the need to do that. But I, I think there's a different appreciation for Anthony Poindexter here on Thursday after a lot of those guys experienced what they experienced at the College Football Hall of Fame. By the way, his parents, his in-laws, his wife, his kids, they're going there Thursday. And, and what a proud moment it must be for Anthony Poindexter uh, as he's going to get to also be the defensive coordinator in the interim here on Saturday. He did say Tom Allen's in meeting rooms. And, and I will, will read one more quote from Anthony Poindexter. And you're wondering what, what's that dynamic like? And, and he says to Tom Allen, wherever you can lend a hand, lend a hand. We don't have egos that way. Chime in whenever you think it's needed. So uh, they're off and running. He says he's excited to get started with Tom Allen as they officially kind of settle into their new roles after this matchup. Tom Allen, of course, defensive coordinator and linebackers coach now. So something to keep tabs on moving forward. But I think if you're a Penn State supporter, if you're an Anthony Poindexter supporter, by the way, this is the guy who was in the mix for the Virginia head coaching job a couple of years ago. You're really happy about uh, the 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 feedback that we're getting here from the man himself on Thursday in Atlanta. Getting back to the game itself and some of the components involved here, who's out of the game for Penn State? You can cross chop Robinson's name off the list because he declared his opt-out a couple weeks ago, declaring for the NFL draft as well as a junior. Johnny Dixon, this is unofficial, but we haven't seen him on the practice field with Penn State since November. Uh, and, and again, a newsbreaker at 24-7 Sports, Matt Zenitz, uh, reported on December 15th that Johnny Dixon was expected to opt out. If he's going to put an announcement out there, he's running out of time. Uh, it was brought up to Anthony Poindexter today. Poindexter said, that's a James Franklin question. Maybe it'll get asked on Friday to James Franklin, or maybe we'll just show up to the, to the stadium and, and Johnny Dixon won't be there, and we'll just all watch Penn State play football without Johnny Dixon. But regardless, let's look at those two spots, fellas. Chop Robinson's gone. We know how, how impressive he was off the edge and, and even going in the interior at times. And then at the other spot, you, you've got Johnny Dixon where you like the cornerback depth, but this was a guy who was such a dynamic defender. Four and a half sacks, led all cornerbacks across the FBS level. We know what he's accomplished in coverage in recent seasons. So, Daniel, when you look at these two components that we expect to be missing for Penn State's defense, which is a little more glaring to you? I think you, I think cornerback you know, trying to replace Johnny Dixon, I think that one stands out a little bit more. I mean, you ask any defensive end about their depth and the praise for Zariah Fisher and Amin Vanover. Um, I think that we know what those guys can do. Uh, and then Jameel Lyons is someone that I think that that room and that whole defense is really, really excited for. Um, so I, I think that at defensive end, none of those guys are Chop Robinson yet. Um, but I think that the the sum of those parts uh, is can can really help. Um, but I think when you look at cornerback, you go to there's just a lot of youth there. You go down the depth chart. You have Kalen King, Daquan Hardy, Cam Miller, and then you have a pair of true freshmen uh, in Zion Tracy and Elliott Washington. Um, there's a lot of excitement for both of those. KJ Winston said that he's really really excited to see those two guys get uh, extended reps through bowl preparation. Um, and, and to get get out there on the field, but I think that those are those are two guys that 
are going to be going against a, an Ole Miss passing attack that is pretty prolific. You got three guys with at least 700 receiving yards. Anthony Poindexter was kind of marveling at that a little bit earlier today, how impressive that is. Um, you know, One of those guys, Trey Harris, is averaging more than 18 yards a catch, and he's a bigger body at, at 6'2 and more than 200 pounds. So there's going to be some challenges there. But I, I think in terms of those two opt-outs or potential opt-outs that we know of right now, I think that cornerback is going to be a little bit more intriguing. Um, and beyond that, Johnny Dixon was such a, a key player in that Prowler package uh, and moving him around. So that's kind of a, another domino that's going to fall and, and someone else that you're going to have to replace in another role. So um, it'll be interesting to see what that secondary looks like. I think at this point, Anthony Poindexter and Terry Smith have a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in being able to coach these guys up. Um, but I, I think that that's where I'm, I think potentially that's going to be a, could be a fun, interesting, curious area to watch with Tracy and Washington potentially getting a lot of run. And I would even keep an eye on King Mack in slot coverage potentially. Yes. I, mean, I know they love what he can do there. He's, he's, a, he's a safety, but they love what he can do in that slot coverage. And, and maybe he gets a chance here with, with Dixon uh, presumably unavailable. And Cam Miller, of course, for as much as we talked about the ability of Dixon to get to the backfield, Cam Miller racked up three sacks this year. Uh, so he's a guy who, who's come up with some timely blitzes as well. And and, uh, and 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 we will be monitoring on the offensive end uh, where things stand with Harrison Wallace during pregame. We, we covered a lot of ground on Harrison Wallace on our Wednesday podcast, but back with the team practicing after missing all of November uh, with an injury. Will he play? Well, that's everyone tells us that's going to come down to James Franklin and Trey Wallace, which leads me to believe that he's medically cleared. He's out in practice and it's just going to be more of a gauging uh, the value of playing versus not playing. And, and James Franklin will have to kind of make a determination on that one. We'll have our binoculars handy in the press box on Saturday morning. Uh, let's get some keys to the game uh, before we get to our final predictions on the score of the Peach Bowl. Mark, when you look at this from Penn State's angle, um, what we've learned about them through 12 weeks, what's going on in the past month with a little bit of staff change and, and certainly the personnel components that we just discussed, what is the lingering question for you as we head over to the stadium on Saturday? The lingering question is going to be how effective will their offensive line be if two of the veterans don't play a whole lot of football? Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm – I, I'm just so anxious to see how this works because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I can't imagine this being a close game. I could imagine it being a cl close game. But if it is, do you really think that Olu is going to say, you know, take me out? Or Kalen King is going to say, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I want to be on a pitch count. Or Adisa Isaac is going to say, I, I, I just don't know. But I do know this, that if – Olu is extremely limited, and if they're not, we're not sure what we're going to get out of Caden Wallace. That could really change the whole dynamic of that offensive line, and I think that could make life more difficult for Drew Aller. And then, in turn, you can see where those dominoes are falling. So, to me, if they're in a position where um, they're limiting those guys but not giving them the whole game off. That's one thing. If Olu doesn't play at all, I mean, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know, we've seen them manage that with Drew Shelton with, you know, rotating guys in. And if that's the way they go about it, it's going to be kind of business as usual, even if Shelton plays more than expected. But I just I'm really anxious to see how that that works. And so I think to me, as I look at this game, 
the, the question, the, the thing that will make it the most difficult for Penn State is if those tackles don't play an awful lot. And we don't know what's going into those decisions. They won't share with us, nor should they. I mean, yeah. that's a competitive advantage. And if, 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 you're, if, if, if we don't know what's going on, Ole Miss doesn't know what's going on. So that puts them in the same predicament we're in, kind of looking at this like, hmm, this could be two completely different offenses based on two players. I mean, you know, we can talk about Drew Aller and we could talk about the running backs and Harrison Wallace. We could talk about the tight ends. But to me, the two most important guys for this game are the tackles. Yeah, and we did get just a little bit of the curtain peeled back from Adiza Isaac with, with kind of his logic on, on what his Saturday might look like. He, he said, yeah, first half, I'm expecting to play a lot. He said, after that, maybe maybe, maybe I slow down a little bit. So it's strange. I mean, it, it, we're all predicting, we'll get to our predictions, we're all predicting one possession games. And so it, it, these a lot of these guys have talked about, you know, I, I can't stay home and watch this game. I, I got to be there. I got to see it through. You know, are they going to want to come, come to the sidelines in the second quarter or third quarter in a tie game against Ole Miss in number 10 versus number 11 because, you know, the, maybe an injury happens in the second half and you survive the first half with that one? There's a lot in play there. And, and, you and can I can say that, Tyler, you can say that at the Westin here on the ninth or 10th floor two days before the game when you're kicking back talking to the media. When the adrenaline is flowing and the stadium's packed and fans from both teams are going nuts and it's your last game ever, I mean, I just, you know, maybe they have I, – I, first of all, I would not blame them for doing whatever they do. I just don't think any of them are wired that way. I just don't think any of them are wired that way. So it's I'm hoping it is a close game so, so we get to see these guys as much as we possibly can because I think all of them are really good players. And, of course, Kalen King, Theo Johnson, Daquan Hardy, other guys who know what they're doing in 2024, does not involve Penn State football, uh, kind of all fall into this category of is there a pitch count in play that that Penn State staff is having to work with. And because he always references Saquon Barkley, does James Franklin in in this kind of conversation. And remember, Saquon was, you know, talked about being the first pick and he played in the Fiesta Bowl. Well, he wasn't exactly on a pitch count. Uh, he had 25 touches, 175 total yards, and two touchdowns in that game against Washington before moving forward as the number two overall pick in the NFL draft. And who was behind him? Miles Sanders. And right. speaking, of, speaking of players that are behind some of these guys we mentioned, I, I know you just sent me a message while, while we were chatting yeah. on the podcast. You have a note on Jameel Lyons, and that makes a lot of sense because everyone seems to have something to say this week about the Philadelphia freshman edge rusher. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, we've been so overwhelmed by information now. As we were talking, it, it occurred to me something that Curtis Jacobs said, and I have it here. And again, I'm going to paraphrase it just because it'll be easier. But uh, Curtis says that he's a future first round draft pick, Jamil Lyons, and that on a scrimmage this week, uh, the other day, he had a PBU, a TFL, and a strip sack within a handful of plays. Now, I had a PBR last night, maybe a couple. <laughs> Only one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that – I mean, to have a PBU, a TFL, and a strip sack for, you know, a true freshman, it's – what, we, what we're hearing about his level of athleticism, it's just a matter of it all coming together. So I did want to get that in there before the pod ended uh, just because it kind of adds to the stack of reports that we've been getting about Jameel Lyons. And I would not be surprised, as good as they are at DN – He's the kind of guy who could come in. We've seen defensive ends come in and, and, and kind of flash. Now, I don't think it's going to be Smith-Vilbert this year, but you never know what uh, what a, a guy, you know, a true freshman 
uh, you know, has had a month off to kind of hone his skills and go back and look at film. Maybe he could be a breakout player here. Maybe that's the guy I'm going to go with, with as my player to watch. Maybe not. Nice tease. And, 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 and the buzz has been building for Jamil Lyons since his first week of practice action in August. And, and now it's just maintaining. So he's one of those players that will be a, a breakout candidate in 2024. We'll see if he gets a head start on that uh, against Ole Miss. And, Daniel, are there any dynamics of this game that, that really stand out to you that we haven't necessarily addressed today or, or over the course of December? As you've learned more about Ole Miss, as you've got a chance to speak to some of their players, that you feel like could really determine the outcome here? Yeah, I think like I touched on earlier, the the Ole Miss passing game against that Penn State secondary, I think that even if you don't have Johnny Dixon and even if you have a limited Kalen King, I think that that's going to be fun to watch given the depth and the talent that Penn State has stockpiled back there. And given that we haven't seen some of those players kind of put the lights on, more or less. Um, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see um, what Ole Miss does from the tempo perspective that was something that was brought up today to Anthony Poindexter. And he said that over the course of the year that they've seen teams that have gone tempo um, at, at various points, but they don't see teams that go tempo as much as Ole Miss does from, from wire to wire. Um, so that'll be good and a, a good challenge. And um, I think one more is uh, Quinchon Judkins, uh, the Ole Miss running back. You know, he was the reason last year why, why Nick Singleton uh, didn't make some freshman All-America teams. He was someone who had a big, big freshman year for Ole Miss last year. His numbers are down a little bit this year, similar to, to Nick Singleton. But I, I think that he's a very talented back. And um, as Anthony Poindexter got asked, like, who does he remind you of um, over the course of, of his career? And you know, whoever asked the question said, you played with Tiki Barber. You've seen these these different, all these players through your career. Who does he remind you of? And Anthony Poindexter said, well, we, we go against two pretty good backs uh, every day in practice in Catron Allen and, and Nick Singleton. Um, I think that the comparison was made a little bit more to Catron uh, than Singleton with Judkins. But I think that how that Penn State front stacks up, I, I think that you know, they're operating pretty full uh, at the defensive tackle spot um, and, and with the linebackers. But I, I do think that that run game will be interesting to watch, too. All right, let's get into our players to watch as we start to enter the final stretch of this final pregame podcast from Atlanta. And we'll begin right back with you, Daniel. Uh, who are you going with? Penn State players to watch. I think we've mentioned about 80 of them, so you have five others to choose from. Yeah, I, I wrote down two, and, and one was Cam Miller, um, but we already touched on him a little bit with what we could see from him and his versatility. So I'm, I'm going to go with Javen Williams, the, the freshman offensive tackle. Like we talked about, we don't really know what we're going to see from Olu Fashionu and Caden Wallace. Um, Drew Shelton has worked as that number three tackle this season, and I expect we're going to see a lot of him. Um, you know, It doesn't matter which side, he's going to be out there. But I do think that if it's something where both Wallace and Fashionu uh, are pretty limited, Javen Williams is that next guy up. Um, and you know, he's mostly worked on the left side this season. We saw him do a little bit at right tackle uh, earlier this month. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what he can look like, uh, you know, going up against an SEC front. Um, he's the the five-star recruit out of Wyoming, someone who is a really, really good athlete, has some fun film out there. Um, and we've gotten a couple glimpses at, and he's gotten good reviews from his teammates. So I, I think that Javen Williams is someone who we could see a lot of and, 
is would really be worth keeping an eye on. And Daniel, remember, uh, Olu Fashionu's you know, opening start was in the Outback Bowl, uh, finishing mm-hmm. off that season. And then what we learned about him in the years ahead has really changed uh, you know, his entire potential in the sport. Um, we'll learn a lot with Javen Williams, five-star player. Olu Fashionu was a three-star prospect. And um, to, to this point, he has played in, in four ma- – I'm sorry, three matchups. So not in any peril of burning redshirt. That's out the window anyways in the postseason. Uh, Mark, who are you landing with on your pick? Yeah, because of opt-outs and projected opt-outs, you know, we've spent so much time focusing on D-end and uh, and cornerback. And, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about the safeties. But to me, I think the interior of that defensive line is going to be a place to watch. I think if Penn State's able to control that running game and Judkins, they're going to be a good spot. So I am going to go with one Zane Durant. I think he got better and better and better as the year went on and was playing at just a hugely dynamic level toward the end of the season. I think this is the sort of game and the sort of opponent that, you know, he's going to be up for coming back down south a little bit, ready to, to get after it, get after the running back, get after Jackson Dart. I think Zane Durant's going to have a big game. Uh, I, I took a long look at a couple second-year defensive players and Abdul Carter and denied Dennis Sutton, Dennis Sutton stepping up as a starter uh, for the third time this season with Chop Robinson unavailable. And then Abdul Carter, can he build off of a big November and be maybe a game wrecker here? Um, but but I, I going back to Nick Singleton, can he build on what we saw on Black Friday? Because that was such a revelation moment for for him and for this offense and and really for what his career trajectory looks like at Penn State. I think if he had gotten to the finish line and it was kind of a sputtering effort against Michigan State, then you can pretty clearly define this season as as underwhelming. Uh, and I know James Franklin and J. Juan Sider will bang the table and say that he has improved in a lot of ways. Um, but but just from a production standpoint, as a runner, um, it, a pretty glaring difference between the two seasons. He was under four yards per carry through seven of the first 11 regular season games. Then he gets 118 yards on 18 carries against Michigan State, adds 68 yards receiving. And lo and behold, things are really set up for him in a national spotlight to wash a lot of those bad tastes out of his mouth from the, from the previous portions of this campaign. If he can go out there, look like the star that he was in the Rose Bowl last year, and do that against an SEC squad in Ole Miss and, and help Penn State get to a win, regardless of with Penn State wins. If he can go out there and produce some fireworks, I just think that really reconfigures how we view this backfield, this offensive operation, because I think we've been kind of putting Nick Singleton to the side and saying, we'll see it, we'll wait till we see it uh, at this point in the year. And we saw it in Detroit. If we see it again here in Atlanta, I think that's a fantastic sign for where this offense is heading, where Nick Singleton is heading. And I do have some questions about what the offensive line will look like, like Mark referenced with some of the the, the, the way they're going to handle personnel in this and how that may impact Nick. But you can probably apply it to Drew Aller and Nick Singleton about this being a launch pad of sorts going into their junior year. I think Catron Allen established himself as a junior. It was consistent from start to finish, a little more inconsistent with Drew and Nick. And so this is a chance for either of them to have a bit of a, maybe another coming out party for Nick Singleton on, on a, on a big stage, on a national stage. Um, and, and, it, and I think if he falls, it falls short of that and it's more of a pedestrian performance and it's something like a 3.8 yards per carry clip and 55 yards on the day, then it fizzles, fizzles a little bit what he accomplished on black Friday. So, just looking for momentum builders from, from Nick Singleton in the backfield. Let's go over to our predictions now. Uh, score prediction, bold prediction. Give them both, Mark Brennan. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think with so many question marks about this game, about who's going to play, how much they may play, it's tough to break this down into any one unit versus another unit. So I looked at it a little differently. You know, I looked at a Penn State team that played two uh, really, really good teams in Michigan, uh, which is obviously number one right now in Ohio State, and played – I don't want to say played well in those games, but was extremely competitive. You know, Penn State – uh, deserved to lose both of those games, but it wasn't absolutely blown out in both of those games. So it was right there. And then you look at Ole Miss scoring a total of 27 points while giving up over 70, you know, in its two big games against Alabama and Georgia. And I just think it's kind of reflective of one team having, you know, a, a, at a slightly higher level overall talent-wise. And I think that's going to carry the day. Again, Ole Miss scored 27 points total against those two defenses and Penn State's defense arguably is better. Uh, now, again, you know, who, who they're going to have, who they're not going to have. Uh, I just don't know that Ole Miss is going to be able to score enough. Now, that could come back to bite me because we've seen bowl games before where, you know, the offense has just gone nuts. But I think this defense has been good enough. I like uh, what Anthony Poindexter is all about, even losing a guy like Manny Diaz, that they're going to hold Ole Miss to 17 points. Penn State's going to score 24. That's my score, 24 to 17. Tyler, you and I, I didn't want to change it because our bold predictions were similar, but they were different in a way as well. So, you know, I look at what happened to Ohio State here in Atlanta last year with Noah Ruggles uh, missing a very key field goal. And I think maybe there's, you know, it's not going to be a game-winning field, field goal to me for Alex Falcons. But I think he's going to come out in an indoor stadium and tie at least the Peach Bowl record of, for a 53-yard field goal. So he's going to go deep from 53 or more. Falcons wraps up his uh, Penn State career. He doesn't have any more eligibility, right? I mean, he's not going to get more. He's going to get. He's not going to get two more years after this. He's going to wrap it up with a 53-yard field goal, and Penn State's going to win by a touchdown. Maybe you can join up with that Maryland quarterback and go searching for extra <laughs> eligibility. Um, I don't know. Uh, Daniel, what are you going with here? Yeah, I, I think as I looked at this game, this was, this was kind of a, a tough one to pin down. I think that when you get in the bowl season, there are a couple different factors that you can kind of key in on to use to pick these games. I think one of them is, is looking at opt-outs. Neither team has an overwhelming number. Uh, another one is sometimes you get to this point of the season and there's just teams that just don't want to be here anymore. And I haven't got that impression from either team here. I think that you look at what Penn State has done from a culture perspective this season, keeping things intact, the guys that are playing in the bowl game. Um, I said that earlier this week, talking to the, some of the Ole Miss defenders on Wednesday and kind of looking at where they are as a team and what they're doing. It reminds me a little bit of where Penn State was a year ago going into the Rose Bowl. Um, so I think that these are two teams that want to be here, that want to win. And I think that's going to show in, in a pretty tightly contested game. Um, I think I might have gone a little bit high on the points, um, but I think it's going to be a 28-27 game. Um, maybe you know 24-23 or 21-20 uh, would have been a little bit more apt. Um, but I think it's going to be a one-point game. It's going to come down to the wire. Um, and the, my bold prediction is that the difference in the game is going to come on a Daquan Hardy punt return for a touchdown. Um, I think that he's one of those players that in the big games, he seems to show up. Um, and I think that he's going to do that in a big way and really put the, the real exclamation point on his college career 
on this journey from what we just learned, silent Buffalo commit the week before his, his national signing day to making a big play in a New Year's Six game for Penn State. Um, I'm, I'm with you guys in terms of the investment on both sides of this matchup. I think it's a good thing that we get to cover a bowl where it feels like you have two competitors who are, are motivated to go out and win the game. And, and, and that extends from the staff to the players. So I do think it'll be a competitive matchup. I don't think someone's going to going to fade off to the side here. And ultimately, I'm, I'm predicting a one possession game as well. I, I think the difference here will be. Uh, the ability for quarterbacks to stay comfortable. I, I think Ole Miss is down an edge rusher in Cedric Johnson, and they don't have as much depth in that department as Penn State's able to do and making up for the loss in the absence of Chop Robinson. And I also believe that based on the 12-game sample size, that Drew Aller is going to be very careful with the football. Um, I think we all understand that. Whereas Jackson Dart, only five interceptions on the season, but I like this defense's chances led by that plethora of pass rushers that they can throw out there, even without Trap Robinson. Keep an eye on Amin Vanover and Zariah Fisher, but the nine Dennis Sutton to me is the guy who could really go out there and remind everybody that he is a five-star talent and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Big Ten in 2024. So I think ultimately they're going to jar uh, Jackson Dart enough to get a timely turnover and it's going to produce a short field for Penn State. Uh, I think they're going to come away with a 30-23 to 23 victory. Theo Johnson scores a touchdown to end his Penn State career in style. And bold predictions staying in the special teams realm. I guess we're all in the same wavelength <laughs> here. I, I also believe Falcons is going to finish his career on a high note. I got him going perfect on three field goal conversions and going 50-plus yards, uh, a career long for him in a Penn State uniform. He's, his career long thus far is 50, so I think he goes beyond that. I don't know if he breaks the Peach Bowl record. Maybe I'm not that bold as Mark, but I do think Falcons is going to show up in a big way. And and since we're all picking special teams, I'll toss in one more bold prediction. I think Abdul Carter gets multiple sacks in this one and really sets the stage for him to be a major talked-about defender across the the country in 2024 as that season approaches so uh there are our predictions and our bowl predictions one else uh, thing we'll throw out there 60 percent off a discount right now at lines 24 7 through the end of the year you can enjoy all of our bowl coverage from here in atlanta if you missed any of that so far but well beyond that recruiting transfer portal full access to the 24 7 machine uh, that is always giving you the updates and of course right here locally uh, we all live in in the state college community and we are at every event basketball football uh, you will get it at lines247.com so that's our quick spiel um, anything else to add before we say goodbye fellas no just looking forward to a great game should be fun and glad penn state got this matchup in this bowl the hospitality here has been unbelievable uh, the people have been great uh, atlanta great city yeah, yeah. Wrapping up our, our last preview podcast of the season, it, it goes pretty quick, but I think it's been a lot of fun. And like Mark said, I, I think this is a great matchup uh, to close things out with. And um, everything down here in Atlanta so far has been fantastic. Yeah, game game 13 just ahead for us Saturday at noon. We'll be back with another podcast after that one goes final in the post game. And between now and then, be sure to catch our, our wide variety of Peach Bowl coverage at lines247.com. It's coming your way by the minute uh, over there at the site. So we're going to step back, get back to work. Uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast. On behalf of Mark and Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue. We appreciate you tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.